You may be seated. Well, good morning. I'm Camper Mundy, associate pastor here, and I too would like to extend a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us. We're glad to have you here. Uh, it's good to see so many folks here. Uh, wow. Uh, a lot, lot of folks. So I guess that's what snow will do to you. Give you a little cabin fever and then you just come, come right on in. Well, you are welcome. And as you come here this morning, I want to begin with, uh, with a few questions. What do you most need right now? What is your deepest need? And also, what do you most want right now? What is your deepest longing? That thing you long for more than anything else. Well, this morning, Jesus confronts those questions for us. And the good news is he gives us answers as well. And so we pick up uh, where we left off last year. Uh, We continue in Mark's gospel, uh, Mark's account of Jesus's life and ministry. Now, when we were together at last at the end of uh, end of January, we were introduced to the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. And he he begins with these words as Mark records it. Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is here. And then after that, Jesus calls his first disciples. And then in the rest of of chapter one, we see Jesus teaching the word of God. We see him freeing those who are in bondage to the forces of darkness and also healing those who are sick with various diseases. And so news about Jesus is spreading everywhere throughout that region. And then we get to chapter two. Mark's gospel takes a turn. And Jesus helps us see our deepest need and at the same time to embrace our deepest longing. And that brings us to our text this morning, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It's found on page 837 if you're using the Pew Bible. Well, let's take a moment to pray before we hear God's word. Father, it is a joy that we're able to come together this morning. And we thank you for that privilege and that opportunity. And we ask now that you would meet each of us wherever we are, individually, but also corporately as a body, and that you would do a work in us that that we would be expectant to hear from you. Because we know that your word is living and active. And so we ask that you would use your word once again to pierce our hearts and to transform them, and to bring growth and healing and hope into our lives. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so hear the word of God from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And Jesus was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they could not get near Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? 
He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And this is the word of God. Well, this morning, as we journey through this particular passage of Scripture together, as we as we walk through uh, Jesus's encounter with this paralytic, I want us to consider three truths found found here. The need for forgiveness, the promise of healing, and the aggressiveness of grace. The need for forgiveness, the promise of healing, and the aggressiveness of grace. And so let's start with the need for forgiveness. Now, for sure, this story opens with a very, very curious scene. You've imagined it before. Some guys have just made a skylight in someone else's home and then lowered their paralyzed friend through the roof into the crowd right in front of Jesus. So what is Jesus going to do? I mean, everyone knows that the paralyzed man has been brought here to get healed. The the paralyzed man is here for one reason and one reason alone. He wants to walk. And Jesus looks at the paralyzed man and says, my son, your sins are forgiven. Uh, What? Jesus, uh, I've come to be healed. I'm I'm paralyzed. I want to walk. Can't you see my need? And Jesus answers, yes, I see your deepest need. Jesus is going deeper than this man's suffering, deeper than anyone could ever imagine. And Jesus knows our deepest need. As one commentator puts it, the main problem is not our suffering, but our sin. Now, don't mishear me on this point. Don't, Don't be mistaken. It's not that Jesus doesn't care about our suffering. Oh, he cares deeply. He hurts with us. He cares about the suffering of this paralyzed man. But Jesus knows that the main problem goes deeper still. Now think about the paralytic for just a moment. It makes all the sense in the world that he would want to walk. But Jesus knows that deep down this man needs something greater. So Jesus could have healed his body first. But had he done that, then the crowd, his friends, the paralyzed man, even us, we might not have heard the most important words. Your sins are forgiven. Forgiveness is our deepest need. Plain and simple. It doesn't change. Forgiveness is our deepest need. You see, without forgiveness, there is no hope, period. Without forgiveness, there is no healing. Without forgiveness, there is no restored relationship with God. 
Now, if you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, maybe you have not yet realized that. Maybe you have not yet realized that you are running from God, that you are alienated from him, and yet you were created to be in a relationship with him. Well, now, maybe you're here and you are a Christian, but you've forgotten. You've forgotten just how wonderful, how awesome, how beautiful God's forgiveness really is. The forgiveness that covers everything in your life, covers all sin, all the bad things that you have done, all the very good things that you have done for all the very wrong reasons. Covering not only our actions, but also our hearts, which so easily deceive us. A forgiveness that comes through the greatest act of love the world has ever known so that we could know God. So that we could enjoy relationship with him and him with us. My son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. I think of Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of you are familiar with her. She has been paralyzed now for over 40 years, quadriplegia. And recently, recently I saw an interview with her, and I, I remember the man conducting the interview asked her this question. He said, Johnny, you travel around the world. You speak it from conference to conference. Does anyone ever come up to you and tell you that they've been praying for you, that they've been praying for your, your healing, your physical healing, or, or even to ask, could, could I pray for you right now? And I remember she smiled. I think she even laughed a little bit, and she said, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. And I always thank the person. But then I also say, if, if you would like to pray for me, I would love for you to do that. But I have more immediate needs than walking. You see, I struggle with pride, discontentment, selfishness, greed, covetousness, anger. I have more immediate needs than walking. I know that one day I will walk. But right now, God is making me holy. He has changed my heart, and now he is refining my character. He's increasing my desire for righteousness, right living. He's purifying my motives, the reasons that I do, the things that I do. He is growing my love for him, my love for others. I know that I will walk one day, but my deepest need is God's forgiveness and grace. And I was stunned. Because I was reminded how easily I forget How beautiful and wonderful God's forgiveness is. And through Johnny, once again, I was reminded of that truth, that gift from God through Jesus. Now, that truth that Johnny holds on to leads to our our next point, because we move from the need for forgiveness to what Johnny is holding on to. And that is the promise of healing. The promise of healing. So Jesus has just pronounced, my son, your sins are forgiven. And remember, the the religious elite are incensed. Uh, Mark tells us that their judgmental hearts have hardened. They think to themselves, this is blasphemy. Who does this Jesus think he is? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're right. Only God can forgive sins. That's the whole point. And And then Jesus catches everyone off guard by asking, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sons are forgiven or to say, rise, 
Take up your bed and walk. Well, Jesus, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because we can't prove or disprove that. But but it's but of course, if you know Jesus, he doesn't even give time or the space to answer. Rather, immediately he declares verse 10. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And the man rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. You see, it is clear Jesus has the power to heal and the authority to forgive. This healing serves as proof that Jesus has the divine authority to forgive sins. Jesus is the king, and the king is ushering in his kingdom. The kingdom of God, and it is a kingdom of healing, and forgiveness matters eternally with regard to this kingdom of healing. You see, this healing serves not only as proof of Jesus' divinity and authority, but it also points us forward. It points us ahead. It points us to the promise of healing. That for which you most deeply long for. That for which I most deeply long for. And you see, Jesus' forgiveness is the beginning of something. It's the beginning of wholeness. Jesus' forgiveness opens the door to abundant, complete, eternal healing. Forgiveness is entrance into God's kingdom. The paralytic has been forgiven by the king and thus gained entrance into his kingdom. And the physical healing of this paralyzed man is a sign. It is a sign of the inbreaking kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus is declaring. It is a sign of all that is to come. Now, you know, this all signs point to things beyond themselves. Signs are not destinations in and of themselves. You know that. You got in your car this morning. You know there's a sign at the bottom of that hill that says Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. But your point was not to drive to that sign and stop. No, you were coming to this place, the sign pointing up the hill to this gathering place of God's people. And similarly, every miraculous healing is a sign pointing ahead. Look. God's in-breaking kingdom. Look ahead. You see, on the one hand, every miraculous healing, every single one, is actually a temporary healing. We pray for healing in this church every week. Some people are healed physically right now. Others are not. But we know whether or not that happens, eventually, each person healed will die. Each of us in here, we will die. But you see, on the other hand, every miraculous healing points to eternal healing. When Jesus returns to make all things right. The healing of this paralytic is a glimpse at the fullness of that kingdom to come. It is a glimpse at what one theologian calls the universal flourishing, wholeness and delight that is coming with the return of our king. 
Now, speaking of the return of the king, from time to time we have to bring up the Lord of the Rings from this pulpit. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, maybe you've read the trilogy or seen the movies. And, and the last book or the, the last movie is, is entitled The Return of the King. And if you are familiar with it, you know that the great battle was being fought. There were shifting hopes, strange tidings. No one was sure what was happening or what was going to happen. And then three of the main characters, Faramir, Eowyn, and Meriadoc the Hobbit, were laid in beds in the houses of healing, for they had been wounded in battle. Now, the eldest woman who served there was standing over Faramir. She was weeping over a dying Faramir, and she cried out, Would that there were kings in Gondor, as there were once upon a time. For it is said in old lore, The hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and thus the rightful king will be known. The hands of the king are the hands of a healer. And so it is with Jesus, the king whose hands bring healing. The king whose return we long for. Because you see, one day he's coming back. At the end of time, when Christ judges the world, those who are joined to him through faith will be made whole through resurrection. Perfect unity, perfect harmony, restoration of soul and body, and a complete restoration of all creation. Again, the healing of this paralytic is is a sign, a glimpse of all of that healing that is to come. A complete healing that begins in forgiveness. Now think of it this way, and I've already mentioned this. Each of us will one day die. In other words, each of us will one day be a paralytic. We will be paralyzed by death. Now, those who have rejected Jesus's forgiveness will be eternally paralyzed. Eternally separated from God. Those who have received his forgiveness will be eternally healed. Eternally at peace, eternally whole, full of joy. With God, our creator and redeemer. And forgiveness is entrance into this kingdom of healing. Now, let me ask you this. Because I can talk about this kingdom of healing for hours. I promise I won't. And I do think about it quite often. But the question that I run up against day in and day out is, does it make a difference in my life? The promise of healing, the promise of all things right, does it does it make a difference? And so I want to ask you, how does this promise of healing or this future grace, to use a John Piper phrase, how does it inform your present reality today? Or does it? I heard this illustration once. Two poor men, same difficult, tedious job day in and day out. Now, one of these men works knowing that at the end of the year, all he'll get after all this long, hard labor is just $2,000. The other one works, same job, same difficult, tedious job. The other one works knowing that at the end of that year, 
he will receive $20 million. Which one do you think works with the joy and expectation despite the difficulty of his present situation? And you see, so too, the glorious riches that we have in Christ, that we have been given through Jesus, should inform our lives today. Now, that doesn't mean that life is not hard. It doesn't mean that we do not struggle, but because we do. But think of these familiar words from the Apostle Paul in Romans 8. I consider that our present suffering, the suffering that we have and that is real and that hurts, I consider that our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Not worth comparing with all that is to come. Now, as of about three weeks ago, the highest grossing film of all, ta- of all time became a new film. Uh, maybe you have seen the new movie Avatar. Uh, I have yet to see it, but I have really enjoyed reading all about it. Now, if you've seen it, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But uh, the setting is a beautiful paradise-like planet called Pandora. A place of plenty, flourishing beauty, abundance, harmony, delight. All that you could ever want. Now, to top it off, you can go see this in 3D. And even better, 3D IMAX. So you can step into the full experience of Pandora. But an interesting thing has happened to hundreds of moviegoers. Maybe some of you have seen this. But there are people that are leaving this film depressed. Now, maybe you're like me. You've been to a film before. You've seen a movie. And you leave and you're a little down. Usually we get over it by the next day. But what is happening here is hundreds of moviegoers are leaving and they are sinking. They are spiraling into a deep, deep, deep depression. Because for two and a half hours, they have been surrounded in a beauty and a glory that they so deeply long for that they literally can almost reach out and touch but can't quite grasp. And they have no hope that it could ever be like that. And so then they walk out into the parking lot and they are reminded of their broken lives in a fallen world. And the contrast is so great, it devastates them. But my friends, if you have put your faith in Jesus, we should be able to go see Avatar. And yes, we will long... I have no agenda here. <laughs> Every time I mention Avatar, James Cameron kicks me back a little, uh, a little something. But, the, but seriously, okay, back to, back to Pandora, the paradise, paradise-like place. We were created for something like that. That is why it hurts so much for those who have no hope. And so for you and me as followers of Jesus, if you have put your faith in him, you need to know that what Hollywood's best can ever give us in a 3D IMAX experience, it will pale in comparison to the coming kingdom of God. It will be like taking a candle and holding it to the sun. The beauty and magnitude of all that is to come is beyond your wildest dreams. And my friends, that is what you most deeply long for. That is the promise of healing that is yours in Christ and that comes with forgiveness through him.
Well, forgiveness and healing come through grace. And that brings us to our final point. The aggressiveness of grace. The aggressiveness of God's grace. Now, it's interesting to note in this story, Mark's story here about the paralytic, and maybe you have noticed this before, but this story does not follow the typical pattern of forgiveness in the Bible. Maybe you have noticed that. Maybe it's made you uncomfortable, a little uneasy. Maybe I'll reread the story in one of the other Gospels. Maybe that'll make more sense of it. But you see, we know that the Bible teaches that we confess our sin, that we repent, and then we receive forgiveness. In fact, Mark's gospel, he opens his gospel with John the Baptist proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then just a few verses later, which I I reminded us of at the beginning of the sermon, we find Jesus proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, repent, and believe the good news. Repent and receive the forgiveness And then entrance into the kingdom. But here, here in our passage, do you see what's missing? Jesus pronounces forgiveness without any sign of repentance. Without any confession of sin. Oh yeah, I was confused, uncomfortable. What what is going on here? And so I'm grateful for a couple of older pastors who have wrestled with this for some time and have helped me out. And so I want you to think about it like this for a moment. Is it reasonable to assume, is it reasonable to assume that Mark and Jesus knew something of the rest of the Bible? Yes, I think that is a reasonable assumption. Is it reasonable to assume that Mark and Jesus weren't trying to overturn the Bible's teaching? They weren't trying to contradict God's word. Yes, I think that too is a reasonable assumption. We've already seen in this passage that Jesus sees into the heart. He sees into other people's hearts. That's clear from verses 5 to 8. So if we hold all of this together, then this is what I believe we can conclude. Here is a picture of Jesus eager to extend mercy and grace. Here is Jesus, in the words of Tim Keller, being aggressive with grace. Isn't that a great phrase? Aggressive with grace. Now, what I mean by, by, by it is this. Jesus must have seen so deeply. He looked at this hurting, broken man and the friends that brought him. And Jesus must have seen so deeply into the heart of this paralytic that he saw a recognition of helplessness. And he heard a cry for mercy and grace. And Jesus jumped on it. He jumped on it because God is eager to extend mercy and grace. And so Jesus gave this man what he did not even realize was was his deepest cry, the deepest cry from his heart. He forgave him. Friends, the good news is that Jesus has that same posture toward us. He is eager to extend mercy and grace to you and to me. As we look at this paralytic, as as we see this paralyzed man, his physical condition, 
what we really get is a picture of our deep need for forgiveness. And Jesus' healing of the man is a picture of his provision for our need. You see, Jesus forgives and heals because that's what the king does. And it cost him everything to do it. Everything. Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, but it is much more difficult and painful to accomplish. To effect forgiveness, Jesus would go to the cross on our behalf to die for our sin. Why? So that we might have life. So that we might be raised with Him. So that we might be restored to a right relationship with God forever. Now, as Mark is telling his story, Mark's gospel, this particular story at the beginning of chapter 2 about the paralytic, as Mark tells it, this is Jesus' first step toward that cross. And it is a step that he aggressively takes towards sinful, needy, broken people like you and like me. The aggressiveness of grace, a grace that would go to the cross that we might be made right with God. Now let me conclude with this. Psalm 23. Most of you are probably familiar with that psalm. It's one of my favorites and most likely for many of you, one of yours as well. And I love the way this psalm ends. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life so that I may dwell with him in the house of the Lord forever. Now think about it for a moment. Surely goodness and love will follow me. The clearest display that we have of God's goodness and love is Jesus. Jesus, surely Jesus will follow me all the days of my life. Now some of you have heard me point this out before, but really what has captured my uh, my attention in these last couple of verses of Psalm 23, is the phrase, follow me. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Because it can also be translated pursue. Surely goodness and love will pursue me, will come after me all the days of my life. And it can even be taken a step further and can accurately be translated, hunt down. Surely goodness and love will hunt me down all the days of my life. Now that, my friends, is aggressive grace. And that is the good news that we so deeply need to believe. Jesus will hunt you down so that you may be forgiven and dwell in his kingdom of healing forever. When you step back out in that parking lot today, you need to know that our broken world, the fallenness of, the, of sin in this world, does not have the last word. Because the king has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Receive the good news. Thanks be to God. Amen.